No more rhymes now. I mean it. Anybody want a podcast? <laughs> Welcome to St. Floyd, the podcast where we watch every movie ever made to see if it syncs up with Pink Floyd's 1973 magnum opus, The Dark Side of the Moon. I keep using that word. <laughs> I don't think it means what I think it means, magnum opus. But hello, my name is Gareth Blackler. You killed me laughing with your hilarious hit romance fantasy comedy mm. prepare to be introduced to my co-host the inconceivable james <laughs> Barron. hello james hello gareth this is very kind since the invention of the intro there has been five intros that were rated the most passionate and the most pure but that one left them all behind gareth that Aww. is just a wonderful intro to our show it's so many great quotes to be referenced oh, thank you in this ah. fantastic film, my, my choice this week, uh, The Princess Bride, one of probably like top three favorite movies of all time for young for James Barron. Um, yeah, bloody love this one. <laughs> ah. Is that a list, the top three that you can just pull out? Because I find like I really have trouble with someone's like, what's your favorite movie? I just oh, sweat. Uh, yeah, so my top three are probably uh, The Matrix. I'd like in like I don't have them in order. Um, yeah, The Matrix, The Princess Bride, and Muppets Treasure Island, <laughs> which I just love. It's not yes. the it's not the best movie ever made, but it is one of my favorites. <laughs> so yeah, that's my top three. So oh, I'm so glad we got that. What, like 97 <laughs> episodes in? <laughs> hey, man, there's People three like- movies left. <laughs> we could just do those three. <laughs> We've already done The Matrix, but never mind. Yeah. We'll just do it again. Don't panic too much, listeners. There are slightly more. We're doing 100 movies. We didn't think we'd announce this this week. 100 mm. movies all up. Which does mean we've got like, I think, 10 more movies because we've done bonus episodes. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, I should have counted that, but I didn't realize I was spilling secrets Mate, um, yeah. this early in the show. But speaking of spilling secrets, this is one of your top three. What's your relationship with The Princess Bride? Did you grow up with it? Did you discover it? Did Mate, you, how's it? How does it go? I definitely grew up with this movie. It was yeah. like um, a, a big childhood movie for me. Uh, mm. I think I would have seen it like probably pretty young, like six or seven, I think. Which is pretty wild because there's some like heavy stuff that goes on this in this movie. Yeah, um, it's a, it's like a genre spanning film mm-hmm. um, with like comedy elements, uh, fantasy, drama. It gets like really dark and serious in places. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's not really meant for. It is a kids movie, like in in all sense of the word. Word, right? Like. The, mm. It's told from the perspective of a grandfather telling a story to a kid. So it's like all stuff that could be in a kid's book or at least like a YA book, I would say. Um, and mm. therefore a kid's movie. But um, yeah, I, I definitely grew up with it um, and have loved it ever since. And also it holds up, man. This movie, I've yeah. watched it like probably once a year for like Aww. since then. It's just so good. Mm. <laughs> What about yourself? Have you had you seen it uh, before? Um, thoughts on the Princess Bride, Gareth? So I did not grow up with it. I I feel like maybe this is like everyone thinks their childhood was the childhood. So yeah. I'm speaking incredibly specifically, but I feel like this movie didn't pop off in New Zealand. I think it's yeah. 
incredibly specific tone New Zealanders couldn't quite understand. Like, mm. it's begging to be a Saturday night movie. But, like, I feel like it never played. Maybe it was a rights thing. So I missed it completely until 2011. Mm-hmm. I was 19. We'd just had the uh, Christchurch earthquakes. Mm. Um, Wikipedia it, listeners, if you aren't aware. <laughs> but they were pretty, pretty rubbish. Um, but I borrowed the book, The Princess Bride, from my girlfriend at the time. Mm. And it was probably the first, like, escape, pop, pop cultural escape I had after that kind of, like, rough experience. Like, I devoured the book and I completely adored it. Oh, nice. Um, have you read the book? No, I'm so glad that you have so that you can provide yeah. that perspective. That's awesome. Yeah. So, the book does. I love this about the book. It has this really interesting meta framing device. Yeah. Where William Goldman, the author, says that he was read it as a child by his father. Mm. And then got so excited that his son will read it that he went and bought his son a copy. And his son couldn't get through it because the book in this universe, the book is actually like 600 pages long. And it's just full of lore and satire about Europe in the 1600s. Right. And like, not a kid's book at all. Just beefy and boring. Mm-hmm. So, he sets out to rewrite it as his father re- read it to him. So, he cuts out. It's called the Good Bits version. Even on the ty- actual front cover, <laughs> it says, like, Erin Morganson's The Princess Bride, abridged by William Goldman. That's amazing. And, yeah. So, like, a lot of the time, there'll be... Like, he almost does it to escape a few plot holes. Like, Mm -hmm. there'll be something that happens. And then he cuts to real life and explains what followed was just incomprehensible to the modern reader. I'm sorry. But look, it gets them to the fire swamp. So, we're at the fire swamp now or something like that. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. It's so funny now. And it worked because I believed it for, like, half the book. (laughs) I was like, this is amazing. This old European book was so boring and so famous. And then something clicked and I ended up like this was pre smartphones sort of. So I had to like go on my laptop and look up the book and be like, oh, it's fake. (laughs) (laughs) But that just added to my journey. And so deep was my love for it that when I finished it, I logged into my little Twitter account I had at the time. (gasps) Whoa. um, Now long deleted because it was full of incredibly basic (laughs) churgy tweets. Oh, my God. And tweeted one of my most basic tweets, which was just, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. (laughs) Nice. I got two replies to that. Whoa. One was a bot that is um, programmed to find when people tweet that and tweet the count's next line about an overdeveloped sense of vengeance. Right, right. Which wasn't in the book and really confused me. Like, <laughs> how does this guy know about my sense of vengeance? <laughs> Getting sassed by that bot. Get out. Yeah. yeah. And the other tweet was from my friend James Barrow. Oh, no. Who said, yes, the Princess Bride or something like that. Hell yeah. And then offered to lend me the DVD. So, that's when I first saw this movie. It was <gasps> thanks to James Barron, co-host of this podcast. Well, that's really lovely, honestly. I yeah. was expecting ab- I, this, like shock of fear that ran through me as soon as you mentioned my Twitter account. <laughs> Though, <laughs> holy moly. Please, if you know what my Twitter handle is, please don't delve back into 2011 james he was a different guy okay (laughs) it's all still there though just like a lovely little time capsule i haven't gone back and deleted anything yet so hopefully i don't get cancelled by the end of the show 
Um, <laughs> oh, wow. That <laughs> happens live as we're recording this. You take your phone off airplane mode at the end and you're yeah. like, it's like, hang oh, on. No. Oh, I got a lot of, lot of tweets here. Weird. Oh. I'm on the news. Cool. Okay. Um, no. no. I, don't, I highly doubt there's anything that bad. It's just cringy no. kid stuff. Um, it's on the news. Man loves Princess Bride. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> yes. Elected oh. governor shortly after yeah. <laughs> podcast. Uh, uh, yeah, man. Oh, that's lovely. A, a big fan of that story and this film. So, oh. I cannot wait to talk about it because it's all I kind of ever want to do um, <laughs> is talk about The Princess Bride. Um, not usually with how it syncs with a magnum opus of an album, but I'm happy yeah. to provide that perspective tonight. Um, yeah. Well, should we dive in? Should we talk scene for scene, sync for sync, yeah, how they're synced with Pink Floyd's The Dark Side of the Moon album? Movie on mute, album up loud. Mm. Oh, why have we not said <laughs> that before? That rules. <laughs> I know. Oh, God. We've got to do another 97 ips now. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's our <laughs> new, like, slogan. Album on, like, movie on mute, album up loud. That's really good. Yeah, I'm, scr- I'm scratching it down now. <laughs> Hell, yeah. Put that on the oh. description of the pod. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Man loves Princess Bride, elected governor, full stop. Movie on mute, album on loud, full stop. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, opening title, uh, speak to me. You know what the deal is. Um, mm, I want to paint the listener a little picture that, like, get tucked up in bed, pretend ooh. to be sick, pull a sickie, mm. and imagine us now, <laughs> two probably strangers to you, coming into your house, settling down for a book and telling you this movie. Yeah, man. And yeah, I think it's richer. In fact, that's how I want you to listen to every podcast from now on. <laughs> Back in my day, podcasting was called books. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, you know what's happening. Um, we start this movie with a young Fred Savage, very young, mm. um, playing an Atari uh, baseball game. We get that, like, usually we would be getting a chip tune, take me down to the ball game. Um, g- good ass track happening here, mm. but of course we're getting speak to me rolling in instead. Um, uh, yeah. So the kids having home uh, at at home having a sick day, as you said, and yeah, we go into breathe as his grandfather arrives, gives him a gift. It's a book called The Princess Bride. There you go, and that's the end mm. of the film. No. Um, <laughs> Uh, yes, he says that back in my day, television was called books and is going to read this book to um, Fred Savage. So presumably Fred Savage is playing William Goldman in, in this movie. Um, and this is the yeah. like the grandfather uh, reading it to him so that he can do the adaptation of the Princess Bride book in reality. <laughs> uh, wow. <laughs> Which is yeah, you've solved it. Pretty meta, but um, I think that's what's yeah. going on. Um, yeah, it's it's fun. Anyway. That's only topped by Skater Boy, the song being then about how they wrote Skater Boy. Whoa. Like, it's the second most meta thing. <laughs> that's wild. Oh, my God. Did she say, say you, see you later, boy, directly to a skatey, Skater Boy? Or, like, uh, to, to the song? I'm so confused. Look- this is what people tuned in for, but Skater Boy <laughs> is terrifying. So, okay. Verse one, Skater Boy by Avril Lavigne, mm-hmm. <laughs> released in the early 2000s. Everyone's favorite. Verse one. Pink Floyd song. As a high school love story. 
which ends Sally because mm-hmm. he was a skater boy and she says, see you later, boy. Five years cool. later, the skater boy is now playing guitar in Avril Lavigne's band, which Whoa. we find out in the next, in the bridge, I believe. In the bridge, it gets so scary because it's revealed that the skater boy, five years later from the events, is still so um, bitter and twisted about her saying, see you later, boy, that he forces Avril Lavigne to sing a song about it, which has been the like final bridge and chorus. And also points out that Avril Lavigne is now with the skater boy. So she's dating the skater boy who's clearly still hung up on the girl who said, see you later boy to him. Oh my God. And has now got her like sing this song about how I was in the right and she was wrong. And like weird details, like she has a baby and her friends are busy. Jesus, this is like yeah. a Gone Girl story. <laughs> this is yeah. wild. Oh my god, Skater Boy is twisted, and yeah, wow. I would not, I would not sit down my grandson and read him the lyrics to Avril Lavigne's Skater Boy. Okay, I'm glad that you don't. <laughs> Although that would be an amazing like fourth verse, is like it actually pulls out again, and it's a grandfather reading it to a child. <laughs> it's annotating the song Skater Boy. Yeah. Can I make it any more obvious? <laughs> Can you come back and read it again, pa- Grandpa? See you later, boy. Credits <laughs> roll. <laughs> there it is. The movie Skater Boy <laughs> coming yeah. out soon. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, yeah. So, we're, we're, <laughs> I don't know how to jump back from that. That's the weirdest tangent, I think, that's been on the show. But I do love it. Um, I'm sweating from that tangent. Oh, man. Yeah, I've had that bottled up. I didn't realize. I'm afraid that Avril Lavigne's going to come and shut me down. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. If this gets out, she will. She will take us down. Her new album, Love Sucks, in stores now. Yes, Avril, we're big fans. Please. Okay, so we get into the story proper. Um, I do like that the um, that this is also framed in a similar manner to the book, right? Like it's yeah. the the there's a lots of asides and cutaways where we have. Um, the grandfather and the grandson um, uh, talking about the book. Well, not like talking about it, but like interruptions and then like the grandfather trying to continue the story, that kind of thing. It's it's similar, but not the same. Um, mm. same they use of- it to do a lot of the same kind of jokes. Like mm. she does not get eaten by the eels as in both versions. Oh, really? Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's nice. Yeah. It works well. And it also like, it's the same thing. It forgives plot holes. It like- because, again, this film, fascinatingly unique tone and it's mm. kind of, it's easy to understand with that framing device. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Definitely. Oh, man. Um, so, yeah, we've got um, our key characters, main characters, Wesley, um, Carrie Elwes, uh, who is a, a farmhand attending to uh, Buttercup, played by Robin Wright, bloody um, mm. House of Cards out of nowhere. Didn't put that together until this watch. But anyway, um, they're both great, both great actors. And yeah, like very early on in their careers here, potentially starting out. Um, and yeah, it's a typical falling in love with the farmhand kind of uh, humble beginnings story here at the start. Um, to which like uh, the uh, young grandson is very like worried uh, that this is mm. going to be like, he says, is this a kissing book? Um, because fair enough, honestly, this does sort of start out like a Mills and Boone <laughs> for, for yeah. what it's worth. Um, yeah. 
uh, plot-wise, um, Wesley does everything that Buttercup says, saying um, as you wish uh, is the only thing that he says to her, um, but really meaning I love you, <laughs> uh, which is pretty intense. And, uh, yeah, uh, we go into on the, on the run when they're falling in love, and then we have this, this interruption by uh, the young boy. Um, so, yeah, we're already, like, flying through. There's not really anything sinking at the start here. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, the, after this interruption, uh, Wesley, uh, leaves to find his fortune across the sea because he can't like afford to get, to get married and is murdered by the dread pirate Roberts, apparently. And yeah, the grandson's like, well, that's good. <laughs> I'm <sick of> him. <laughs> um, and yeah, heartbroken, um, Buttercup vows that she will never love again. Um. It's kind of, I, this is like the one beef I have with this movie is that Buttercup says some really weird stuff. She says, never mm. love again here. And then when he comes back later, she says, I will never doubt again, which is just, I don't know. I guess it's like the fantasy setting, <laughs> but it's still pretty funny. Yeah. She's very quick to never blank again. Yeah. I, I guess she's yeah. like a storybook character, so it's fine. Yeah. Um, yes. So- uh, cut to five years later, we're in a um, town square and the great Prince Humperdinck is presenting his new bride-to-be, Buttercup, Princess Buttercup. So, she's the Princess Bride, in case you weren't sure. Hey. Uh, we get the crash sound over her reveal to this audience of people. Um Grandfather provides some narration saying that she uh, doesn't love Humperdinck in spite of his ability to choose his bride out of anyone. Because I guess that's just like what a prince do. He just chooses someone and then you have to marry him, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, she goes out for a ride on her horse to like calm herself down. Um, mm. My favorite thing from the book. Sorry. I did also listen to the whole audio book this Whoa. weekend. What? That's awesome. I didn't mean to and then it was over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gareth, oh. your commitment to this show always never ceases to amaze. You know, it's the oh. best. It was an abridged version. So, it was like the CD an, version of the audio book. An abridgment so. of an abridgment. That's amazing. Exactly. Yeah. And read by um, Rob Reiner, the director of the movie. Oh, cool. So, you got to hear like high fantasy in a um, very New York accent. It was really cool. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But um, the detail I wish they'd- the only like- I love the changes they've made, but mm -hmm. the only detail I wish they'd kept is that her horse is just called Horse. That's Which is good. just very funny to hear, especially Rob Reiner say, she went for a ride on horse. That's fantastic. Oh, man. That would be a good detail. I mm. guess the horse doesn't play that great of a role in the movie, <laughs> right? It's pretty much almost, pretty much immediately gone after this next scene. Yeah, um, true. Because, yeah, she encounters a trio of strange men in the woods here who um, kidnap her as um, we go into time here. The clock's going off over this kidnapping. Um, mm. Just missed these alarms going over the, like, three superstars. Yeah, pretty men. close. Um, yeah. yeah, they are these superstars. We've got Wallace Shawn as the Vecini, yes. who is a little Sicilian man. Um, I love him. I love Wallace Shawn and basically yeah. anything that he's in. What a wild guy. And this is like probably his most iconic role like he's ever done. I think he'd still yeah. get comments. He's about admitted this. it as well. Yeah. 
It's such yeah. a good one. Like, mm. uh, and we've got um, Mandy Patinkin as Inigo Montoya, um, the Spanish fencing champion, basically, or master. Um, just a good guy. Um, yeah, great performance. Yeah, like, carries. Oh, like, yeah, carries it. Emotional core of the film. For sure. Somehow. <laughs> yeah. Right? For, like, a character that's driven solely by revenge, you are, mm. like, so on his side. It's fantastic. Um, yeah. And finally, we have Andre the Giant himself as uh, Fezzik, as uh, playing a giant, obviously. <laughs> hard, to, <laughs> hard to, like, melt into the role of a dwarf if you're Andre the Giant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah he's a he's a, a big guy he basically plays like a fantasy version of himself which is great mm. um and yeah they're out here um kidnapping princesses um as part of a plot to start a war with the rival kingdom named gilda <laughs> yeah um we're in a kingdom called florin it's been established um and the neighboring like across the sea is gilda and they're uh a Attempting to start a war between the two factions um, by stealing the princess. Both countries that teenage Gareth thought were real because he didn't realize the um, framing yeah. device was fake. <laughs> I mean, they sound real. They sound like they right? could be real places, right? Thank and you. like the like the ancient past. You know, they mm. they they they've got good names. Um, anyway, they're trying to start this war, and so they've stolen the princess. And they take off uh, via boat with um, uh, Vizzini, like, getting really, really angry. And um, Fezzik lightens the mood with some some of his rhyming. <laughs> 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 Which is just, like, classic um, book stuff, you know, like, storybook yeah. stuff. Just having a character, like, rhyming for the entertainment of the reader, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> like, they aren't good rhymes, but they're a lot of fun. Uh <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, also, I can imagine a kid who watches this on VHS then, like, turning to their parents and being like, do you want to hear my rhymes? Yeah, it's it's quite sweet, honestly. Mm. Um, also, uh, Andre, a fun fact, uh, number one, Ooh, yes. James' uh, trivia fact, Andre the Giant was really, really worried about um, delivering and learning his lines because he's not a native um, English speaker. And... Mm. Uh, was really, really worried that he wouldn't be good enough in the movie and um, spent uh, most of his time when he wasn't on camera just listening and rehearsing uh, his lines with headphones in and would just, like, do that for the entirety of the film, basically. Like, Aww. was just constantly, like, he took it super seriously. And, mm. uh, yeah, I think he does a great job. Like... He's extremely lovable and, like, he, yeah. you, you know what he's saying most of the time. Like, <laughs> I think he does a great job. I'm, I'm a big fan of the boy. Um, so yeah, that's so sweet Andre. to know how, like, nervous he was. We've not acted before. He's, you know? um, like, a fascinating person. So nervous about people, you know, being intimidated by his height that he would call everybody he met, like, boss. Oh. And like, yeah, just go out of his way to be as sweet as possible, which is That's so, awesome. oh, it's what heartwarming a- and heartbreaking that he kind of felt he had to do that. But yeah. Yeah. What a cool guy though. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, this is also a sync though, because we are starting up Time's Vocal, which of course starts with uh, digging away the moments that make up the dull day or ticking away, digging away. I can't remember. Um, 
It's not like I listen to this album every week. Um, uh, yeah, which is exactly what they're doing. They're trying to pass the time here, um, just rhyming away, you know, much much like Pink Floyd are doing. Yeah. I thought you were going to say it's a sync because they they rhyme and the song rhymes. <laughs> no, not at that level yet. <laughs> um, I've got a little bit more of a link there than that. <laughs> Thank yeah. goodness. Um, but yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they travel on boat, um, uh, sailing away to Gilda, presumably. Um, and uh, Inigo keeps, like, looking over his shoulder um, and freaking Vizzini out because he sees someone is following them out there. Another boat is mm. fo- coming up behind them. Uh, Vizzini says that this is inconceivable, which is his catchphrase. He says everything is inconceivable, um, which is great. Uh, later mm. on in the movie... Um, and Inigo comments that uh, he keeps saying this word, I don't think it means what you think it means, <laughs> which is right. He keeps using it wrong. Inconceivable yeah. isn't like, it's like you can't even fathom it, I guess is what he's trying to say, but it isn't really what that means. Mm. Um, it sounds close, but it's, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, Wallace Shawn got the role because of the way he said inconceivable in a different film. Oh, really? That's great. Yeah, man, they just plucked that one out. They were like watching. They were watching every movie ever made, except they mm. were watching for when somebody says the word inconceivable. <laughs> and they're, and they're, they've got their own podcast called Inconceivable. <laughs> yeah, and like some, they every movie they have to like give a zero if it doesn't have the word inconceivable in it. Oh like, no, oh, that's that. a lot of movies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this one though, this one's a good app. Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, so we go into time solo um, and uh, Buttercup uses this moment of distraction to try and uh, jump overboard and escape and get to this other ship. But this water is infested by the shrieking eels, <laughs> Gareth, which are truly horrifying. They're like a, yeah. a puppet eel, um, but they're enormous and have very sharp teeth. They're quite scary if you're a little kid. And um, I really do like that the that the book and also the movie like undercut this by cutting away and saying the eel doesn't get it. <laughs> like, don't worry. Mm. <laughs> it is like it's a really clever way to like make a scary scene like not as intense for like a younger audience mm. <laughs> within the like narrative of the movie. I think it, I think it's a really smart idea. Um, and yeah, they like scoop her up. And then continue on their way. Um, but yeah, I, th- I just think that's a clever moment in this movie. They use these like cutaways um, sparingly, but also like to advance the story in a good way, I think. Yeah. That's a good way to have your cake and eat it too. With like, you know, you can have the eels be scary and it be like something exciting for an adult. Be mm-hmm. Like, oh, look at these puppet eels. They're so cool. Whereas like a kid can then enjoy it being like, okay, no, we're safe. Yeah. We're safe. We can watch it. Exactly. Um, so we get the home home again in, um, time. We're like after the tempo change now and, uh, they approach the cliffs of insanity. (laughs) Gareth, um, this film is, has the, does the same thing that Kroll does where they have all the stupid (laughs) fantasy names for things. I think that's why part of the reason I love it so much (laughs) is just because this falls under the fantasy as hell banner for sure. Um, we are deep in like romantic fantasy era, 
Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, Fezzik climbs up of the side of said Cliffs of Insanity, um, carrying the three other people in like harnesses that he's strapped to himself and um, is also just using his hands in like a hand mm. over hand climbing style up a rope, which is incredibly impressive. <laughs> Probably fake, but really good. Oh, very fake. Yeah. Andre the Giant, um, I don't think he could lift anyone at this point. I think he was like injured from wrestling and just from his own height. Right. So it's like completely fake. I think it's just like on its side and then they just rotated the camera right it, it looks quite good anyway mm. like because yeah. they somehow like suspended maybe the rope was like stiff i don't know um oh yeah but like it looks like he's like climbing up hand over hand definitely or maybe there's mm. like a, a a runner rope going up of it and the, he's being like hoisted at the same time something like that oh yeah that sounds yeah that sounds good yeah that sounds conceivable yeah <laughs> fully conceivable um <laughs> And yeah, so the we also see that um, the follower is also climbing up as we go into Great Gig here. We see the the person that's been following them and they're wearing um, all black and uh, mm. a mask is disguising their face. Um, they do have a tattletale uh, little mustache as well, though, <laughs> um, which is quite good. Um, yeah, so they reach the top uh, quite quickly and Vicini... Um, cuts the rope behind them so uh to, in an attempt to drop their pursuer down the cliff uh but he's quickly um he quickly grabs onto the side and doesn't fall again inconceivable mm. and this is where we <laughs> get that that line um i don't think it means what you think it means um just loads of good quotes in this movie if you haven't seen it before yeah. it's um yeah one that is it's just it's just full of banger lines and dialogue <laughs> most i imagine they're mostly from the book and they've just like lifted them from here because they're they're really funny this movie's hilarious um yeah 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 i think anything that's not in the book well it's the the screenwriter also wrote the wrote the book and the movie so yeah. anything that's not in the book it's still the same same source he's still yeah, yeah same voice just like improving on what he's got mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah um so, because he didn't die, Vizzini orders Inigo to stay behind and uh, uh, basically say, if he reaches the top, um, then kill him with the, your sword skills. Um, and yeah, and they continue off on their escape with the princess. Um, mm. So, Inigo tries to pass the time uh, waiting for this guy to reach the top, asks him to hurry up, which is hilarious. <laughs> um and yeah, tries to like convince him to uh, like, he says, oh, I'll throw you a rope, but um, like, I'm only waiting around here so that if you reach the top, I'll kill you. Mm -hmm. and, and the man in black's like, well, that does put a damper on our relationship. Um, eventually manages to convince him uh, to take the rope by swearing on his father's life that he will reach the top alive. Uh, and yeah, he throws that rope down right as we finish Great Gig and get the cha-ching of money <laughs> coming in <laughs> as well, which is nice. Yeah, the whole ordeal, like everyone faces the cliffs exclusively to Great Gig in the Sky mm. and moves on to the next song. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Always yeah. good when a full song lines up with like a full scene. That's nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, so now we're at the top and... Um, uh, Inigo very kindly gives the man in black a chance to catch his breath up here as well. Inigo's a man of honor here. And it's like, 
um, as a sign of like good faith for their fight is like letting him catch his breath. And um, we learn his story as well. This is a good way to get like the backstory of an ego. Um, when he asks if the man in black has six fingers on his on his left hand or right hand. I can't remember which actually. Um, mm, one, of, one of his hands. Um, After all that expertise we've drawn. Yeah, right. Six fingers on your left hand. I think it's left hand, he says. Um, anyway, I had to like say <laughs> the line in my mind then. Yeah. Just have to do the whole script really quickly. Just yeah, very quickly in my mind. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. So, uh, Anigo's deal is that um, his father was uh, commissioned. He's a sword maker and he was commissioned to make the finest sword in all the land. Um, and like, again, very trustingly, Anigo like hands his sword over for the man in black to like look at. <laughs> Um, yeah. and then passes it back, which is like a terrible thing to do if you're trying to like kill someone, <laughs> but whatever. Um, again, lots of honor here, but when the man, the, the sword was completed and then when the man returned, um, to, uh, purchase it, uh, he would only pay one tenth of the agreed price. Mm. Um, talking about prices over money, by the way, which is good. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, father refused this and the six fingered man, uh, brutally murdered his father in, in cold blood. And um, Inigo challenged um, this, ma- this six-fingered man to a duel um, to avenge him, but he failed because he was only 11 years old at the time. Um, <laughs> and the six-fingered man left him alive, but gave him matching scars across the sides of his cheeks um, with his sword um, as like a reminder of this. And since that day, he's dedicated his whole life to the study of fencing so that when he meets the six-fingered man, he'll, uh, he'll be able to face him in combat and he will say the famous line, hello, yeah. my name is Nigo Montoya, you killed my father, prepare to die. <laughs> Which is a line. It's like a wild thing to say to your arch nemesis, just starting mm-hmm. with hello is great. <laughs> Um, it's very formal, which I like a lot. Mm. It does suit Inigo's character that he would say hello first. <laughs> um, but yeah, oh, it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. So this film had no real cut through. I fe- again, speaking from my own childhood, mm-hmm. didn't feel like it had a huge cut through into New Zealand's pop culture landscape, but this line yeah. cut through like a sword that a dad would make. It's, yeah, man. Yeah, it pierced it. The, fine, the finest sword in all the land. Yeah. This is yeah. a- it broke the glass ceiling of New Zealand pop culture and emerged yeah. into Famously, the light of day. you can't make pop culture references when doing comedy in New Zealand because we won't get it. <laughs> like, that's advice that, um, like, more veteran stand-ups give newer newbies. But, like, yeah, this line, this line made it as far as, like, an ad from the 90s in terms of most New Zealanders are aware of it. <laughs> It's pretty bold of us to start a pop culture show in New Zealand, <laughs> yeah, right. come to think of it. Yeah. Let alone do 80-something uh, episodes of it, 90-something episodes, man. Yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> um, We're silly. Yep. That's okay. We're already here. <laughs> we knew yeah. that from the beginning. We didn't need a podcast <laughs> to figure that one out. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good little tale that we get here from Anigo about his- um, uh his father it's it's compelling i think it's like it's mm. it's um yeah we we get his whole his whole deal um right here 
And before um, we go into this fight, um, this duel uh, mm. where, between the man in black and an ego. Um, and yeah, it's um, it kicks off for the proper, for the guitar portion of um, Money Solo coming in. Um, and yeah, it's a good fight. I, I uh, This is done for real by the actors, except for one bit where they do the spinny around the, um, the bar. The like oh, yeah. the gymnastic, but every other bit is done by the actors, um, Mandy and Carrie, um, did a lot of practicing sword fighting apparently. Yeah. Um, yeah. I heard they like watched every, they claim to have watched every sword fight that was in every movie. Wow. Oh, now that's a yeah. podcast, baby. That's cool. <laughs> While also checking if anyone says inconceivable and if any of those movies synced with Dark Side of the Moon, yeah. I'm sure. So they've done all of that. We're just catching up yeah. to the, to the yeah. dynamic duo, Carrie and, and Mandy. Uh, uh, if anyone was to start a Princess Bride podcast who was on it. In the movie, that is. Those, Those two, two are probably the most likely and also would probably be the most engaging. Yeah, 100%. It's uh, there for the taking, boys. Yeah. <laughs> Get amongst. I would listen. We'll, um, yeah, we'll produce it. Well, we'll we'll give it a plug. Yeah, we'll give it a plug. <laughs> the plug it does not need from us. <laughs> oh, man. I'd love to be a founding member of, like, an incredibly famous podcast. <laughs> <laughs> wonder what that's like um <laughs> yeah hey it's carrie mandy and jay <laughs> oh man whoa how did he get here i'm just on the i'm on the um the dials you know i'm on the yeah on the decks the dj decks in the background <laughs> producer You're dropping James. like morning radio drops like, <laughs> but it's exclusive just, it's excerpts from the film and i'm just keep yeah. cutting in <laughs> Actually, get me off the show. The worst, the more I talk about it, the less good it's going to be. <laughs> um, but yes, this this sword fight, it's very good. Um, they range all over the um, the ruins um, mm. that this is, is set in. It's like, it's very clearly like all fake bricks and stuff as well, yeah. which is very silly. Um, and like, there's like a gymnast bar and you can see the like... Um, the crash mats, which are just like buried hastily under um, sand and things like mm-hmm. that. But it's still a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, th- we do get a, a double twist of each of them fighting using their left hand as like a method of holding back before uh, switching to their dominant uh, right hands to uh, as like a twist being like, oh, ho, I was holding back this whole time. You never knew my true power. It's very Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> yes you know um yeah it's great uh and yeah the the fight concludes with anigo getting um disarmed and he uh requests like a swift death uh but the man in black doesn't want to kill him he says he's like a great artist and instead just knocks him out with the butt of his sword um delivering the line please understand i hold you in the highest respects um which is great and then, yeah he, yeah, he runs off into the next scene as at the end of um, Money, we have in the um, uh, away, away, away kind of outro yes. bit as we go into yeah. Us and Them, which is nice. Um, yeah. So, Vicini sees that the Man in Black is still in hot pursuit and orders Fezzik to deal with him this way, deal with him his way, aka mm. um, hitting him with a rock <laughs> as we... <laughs> Um, going to us and them here um, and physics like that's not very not very good not very sportsmanlike is what he says and um, mm-hmm. he does throw a rock but deliberately misses 
um, to give the man in black a sporting chance and um, proposes a battle um, between them with no no weapons and no tricks, just skill against skill is what he says. And uh, Fezzik can't help but be, be the big strong man that he is. Um, but it's quickly revealed that the man in black is uh, very is small and very quick. And so mm. he uses that to his advantage. Although how the fight is won is by um, the man in black, like jumping onto physics back and cho- and choking him out, <laughs> yeah. which is like pretty impressive to be choking out Andre the giant. I think he's got mm. a, pr- a pretty damn thick neck. Like, <laughs> um, so that's impressive in and of itself. Yeah. But, um, the man on back. Oh, man on back. I like it. <laughs> Thank you. Very generous. <laughs> Um, yeah, also, f- while being choked out, Fezzik is just talking about, like, how he's having trouble and why he's having trouble in the fight, which is very funny. Yeah. Saying that he's, like, used to fighting whole big groups of people <laughs> for charities, <laughs> which is hilarious, um, and isn't used to fighting a single combatant. <laughs> and so, that's why he gets <laughs> taken down. Uh, very good. Um, yeah, he also, uh, the man in black says... Uh, rest well and dream of large women, <laughs> which is just a, a, still a very funny line. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, you can dream about them in any way you like, you know? Yeah. They could be just your friends. Yeah, any colour you like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's a song. <laughs> now that's a song. <laughs> um, we're just coming out with all our podcast catchphrases this week. <laughs> Movie on mute, album on loud. Now that's a song. Now that's a song. <laughs> I hope that does become a catchphrase because it's so stupid because we only have nine to choose from. That's, <laughs> that's, the, that's hilarious. I just start just bigging up random songs on the album. Yeah. Now that's a song. Money? Oh, mate. Now no. that's a song. <laughs> oh, that's so silly. Okay. Uh, finally, um... Uh, we reach Vicini um, himself, who ha- instead of running anymore, has set up like a table. Effectively, he's set up a um, on top of like a boulder. He's set up uh, a like a place, uh, a tablecloth, and some cups and things like a weird mm. little thing, and is holding um, a knife to the blindfolded uh, buttercup here, knife to her throat, and. Uh, yes, he says, so it is down to you and it is down to me, <laughs> which is something I say <laughs> far too often. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the man in black uh, challenges Vizzini, um, to a battle of wits, his strength. Um, apparently Vizzini boasts about being smarter than Aristotle and Socrates and, uh, yeah, um, and he gets challenged to a battle of wits of the man in black's choosing. Um, and so, yeah, uh, he, uh, the, the battle of wits is thus. It is, um, uh, the man in black reveals a small, like, vial of iocane powder, um, which is an undetectable, unsmellable poison, um, and he pours it into one of the two uh, goblets of wine and then behind his back so that um, Vizini cannot see and then switches them back and forth and then puts them both on the table and says mm. that uh, Vizini must choose one of the wine goblets to drink out of 
They both drink simultaneously and we find out who is right and who is dead, <laughs> which is good stuff. Um, hilarious that a Vicini um, did as instructed and smelled the random vial. I think he already failed the test at the start here. <laughs> like that yeah. could have just been like anything to knock him out or kill him instantly and he's done. But whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's also interesting, just in case we don't get to it, that it's odorless and that's how you know what it is. Yeah. But the prince then later sniffs the vial and immediately goes like, ah, oh, Iocane powder. Yeah. It's it's a bit. I think he's, it's that's a, a definitely a joke is that he like <laughs> smells, smells something unsmellable and then says, Iocane powder, I'd bet my life on it, <laughs> which is just premium. <laughs> like, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so um, Vicini does a lot of um, back and forth about uh, what he uh, has to choose from. He says, all I have to do is defer what I know from you, know about you, um, to determine where you'd put the poison. Like, he says, I'd, so because of this, you can't have put it in front of me. And because of this, you can't have put it in front of you. And he goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth over and over again effectively trying to trick the man in black into giving something away so that he can determine which of the goblets uh, he put the poison in because he obviously doesn't know. Um, mm. He does uh, this for a while and then says, you've given everything away and then uh, does the classic look over there <laughs> trick, <laughs> like tricks the man in black to look over his shoulder at something that isn't there and then switches the goblets on the table Um and then says, okay, we're going to drink. I'm going to drink from my goblet. You're going to drink from yours. And and that's how it's going to go. And so they cheers and they both drink from the goblets. Notably, Vicini does let um, the man in black start drinking first before he does yeah. so. And in, do in so doing, assumes that his one is the one that isn't poisoned. Um, and yeah, yeah. Uh, he thinks he's won because he did the switching of the glasses and he and he is laughing at um, the man in black for tricking him over, over such a simple gambit before immediately dropping dead. <laughs> mm. um, Just falling sideways out of frame in a like classic like 1920s comedy routine. I love so it. good. <laughs> so slapstick. Mm. Oh, man. Um, yes. So it's revealed that both the goblets were poisoned. And in fact, the man in black has built up an immunity to Iocane powder <laughs> to survive this very challenge that he proposed, which is such a baller move. <laughs> it's yeah. so hilarious that you'd build up an immunity to a poison. So you, and just in case you needed to challenge someone to a poison-based battle of wits. <laughs> It's hilarious. Mm, this is a quote that I use too much, is the idea of building up, spending two years building up an um, immunity to something. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's harder to fit into everyday conversation, but when you do, it feels yes. so good. I've spent the last two years building up an immunity to asparagus. <laughs> yeah. Two bits of eggshell in the omelette. <laughs> Finally, I'm at my whole strength <laughs> once more, and I can crunch these bad boys down. <laughs> Uh, Gareth, you didn't cook the rice properly. I have spent the last two years <laughs> building up an immunity to crunchy rice. <laughs> oh, based on what I'm hearing is that you're just struggling with your cooking. A bit. Yeah. 
Oh, no. Princess Bride's got me out of a lot of awkward dinners. Well, that's good. That's, that's worth it. That's a good legacy to have. Um, yeah. So, in Brain Damage here, we get introduced uh, to the man in black. He is uh, the Dread Pirate Roberts, the person that killed Wesley. Um, and uh, he recounts um, uh, remembering Wesley and killing him and saying um, that he didn't die. He died with honor and said that he um, pleaded... He, did, he just said, please, I need to live because um, he was in love, true love with mm. somebody, um, presumably Buttercup is what he says. <laughs> and yeah, he like admonishes her for um, falling in love with somebody else and getting married to which Buttercup like says, like, I never, I don't love him. It's like common knowledge that I don't. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's. Uh, it's pretty rough stuff. He does like threaten to hit her at one point, which is no good, which is like going quite far. Uh, yeah. Think. Just to play your little character. Yeah. It's really weird. Not really good. Um, mm. Probably the only downbeat in the whole movie for me. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, uh, at Buttercup, uh, they see that um, Humperdinck has tracked them all the way here and is cresting the hill trying to get to them. And a buttercup uses this distraction to push the dread pirate Roberts down the hill. And he calls out, she's like, you could die for all I care. And then he replies, as you wish, as he's tumbling down the hill, it's like Mm -hmm. an ADR recording. It's great. Um, And she realizes that he is in fact Wesley um, this whole time in disguise Um, and throws herself down the hill as well. This fall down the hill looks real and painful <laughs> yeah right both times like i watched it clean in with the uh album and both times i was just like how are they doing this yeah it's got to be stunt people right um mm. if you've if you've never fallen down the hill it's fucking terrifying i did this once on a school camp um <laughs> accidentally rolled down a hill and guys did you know hills are often covered in like rocks <laughs> and yep. stuff um, and if you start rolling down a hill, it's pretty hard to stop because you start picking up speed. Um, yeah. I was like uh, gathering no moss like a rolling stone, Gareth, as I was rolling down the hill. It's it's a dangerous and painful time. So um, miraculously, I didn't break any bones, but um, yeah, I, I think I sprained something. But any- <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I went to a concert um, at a winery and... To do the opposite of how fancy a winery is, my friends and I went and found a cool hill and started just rolling down before the concert. Wow. And yeah, I also didn't expect to pick up speed as I kept going on a much like less steep hill. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, big regrets. And imagine if I'd like injured myself and missed oh, the national. Brutal. That would be so sad. Yeah. Oh, no. National at a winery? I was already planning to be so sad because I was at the national. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you have to have like a sprained ankle at a concert, like the National's not a bad band to have that yeah. happen at, I must admit. Especially at a winery where you can like numb the pain. But like <laughs> uh still not still not a great sitch though. <laughs> it would yeah. be amplified the sadness and might take you over. Um so uh, if you need to just hide the fact you've like got a broken ankle and it's like, yeah, that's that's not why I'm crying. Yeah. It's the wine and the national. <laughs> <laughs> there you Thomas. go. Oh, man. I've been building up an immunity to my broken ankle <laughs> <laughs> by listening to the national and drinking lots of wine. Oh, 
Oh, so good. Um, oh, imagine that on a like coffee mug. <laughs> it's a long, confusing coffee mug. Yeah. Uh, but most of our ones are, so it's fine. Mm. You get more coffee that way. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. They, so there's a bit of a reuniting uh, moment here. More kissing. Um, mm. uh, much to the chagrin of the grandson, he's like, "Oh, the kissing again! I'm over this." <laughs> and he's like, "Skip ahead to the fire swamp." That sounded good. So they go to the fire swamp next. Mm. Um, as we go into eclipse and then uh, into playthrough two, um, introduced to the fire swamp, which is a stunning set, by the way. A swamp's yeah. never looked so good. Not since Crawl <laughs> have I been so impressed with a swamp set. God damn. Big old trees, big old fake vines. It's looking good. Um, love it. We uh, have a brief encounter with a jet of fire coming out of the ground, hence fire swamp, uh, just like singeing the robes of um, of Buttercup here. And mm-hmm. then we have Wesley over the heartbeats um, telling us the story of how he survived the encounter with the Dread Pirate Roberts. Um, he did. He, what he said before was all true. Except that he didn't get killed. He um, got taken on as the Dread Pirate Roberts's valet, <laughs> um, and said like Roberts would uh, say to him every day, "I'll most likely kill you in the morning," mm. and uh, like said that for years and years as um, he just became a part of the crew of the Revenge and learned to fight, etc. Um, and then Roberts one day wanted to retire. Uh, because he'd become so rich and they revealed to Wesley that he wasn't even the original Dread Pirate Roberts and that it's more of a name, like a title that's being used by several pirates to like inspire fear um, and be this like pirate master of the waves, etc. <laughs> um, I do love the reveal that the, the, the Dread Pirate Roberts that he was dealing with is named Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah very good perfect pirate name yeah it's so good the dread pirate ryan um mm-hmm. and yeah so uh in order to retire wesley is named the new roberts and the previous one ryan stays on as first mate to convince the new crew that he's roberts um and yeah by the time they complete a journey um everyone believed that he was roberts so he's officially dread pirate roberts um and there you go that's how he was able to become dread pirate roberts despite only being away five years and the dread pirate roberts being around for 20 um Mm. so there you go uh just another fun little story yeah Um, it's a good little dip away it's probably just like an idea that um william goldman had that yeah didn't like feel like he turned into a whole story so it's just like oh it fits perfectly in my princess bride book just weaved it in yeah not a full story but just like a a fun idea so good Mm. it is such a like it's an idea that's stuck as well like Mm. this is a another reference point that almost made it into new zealand yeah (laughs) because you can talk about the dread pirate roberts and people kind of get that idea of like oh it's just a name yeah it's just a name Mm. so the ship of theseus of occupations (laughs) kind of yeah uh whoa (laughs) that was the smartest thing on this show since you knew the name of a horse-drawn carriage (laughs) the last episode yeah okay (laughs) great i'm glad every episode of this is the smartest episode yet mate i'm just hitting homers non-stop (laughs) 
<laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah. So this story plays out um, all through speak to me going into breathe and we're mid breathe as uh, well, like actually early breathe. Sorry. As um, suddenly uh, buttercup falls into lightning sand, which is mm. quicksand that just devours you like instantaneously. <laughs> um, Wesley like dives in to save her and like we, uh, she pulls her, pulls them both out by climbing up a vine as Pink Floyd sing, breathe, breathe in the air. Yeah. <laughs> At the start of breathe. For, yeah. yeah. Perfect. That's yeah. the same baby. Um, it's always, it's a good sign that we're kicking off this playthrough with some good sinks. Yes. Because the characters literally sunk, sunk into some ground. S- into the sink sand. Thank you. I did pretty much mess up the joke, but thank you. No, you got it. We got there. I knew what we were talking mm-hmm. about. Um, uh, the album kicks off with a sink. Yeah. A sink into sand. Oh, there it is. Just cut yeah, that back I won't in. edit out the stumbling. <laughs> <laughs> Too proud. Yeah. Uh, so we go into um, the- we're still in the fire swamp and uh, they cover off some dangers because- um, Buttercup's ready to give up after this uh, falling into the sink sand and is, uh, yeah, there's like, no, 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 we've already succeeded because now we know all the dangers of the fire swamp and how to avoid them. Um, The fire Mm. coming out of the ground is preceded by like a popping sound that we, the audience, cannot hear because Pink Floyd is blaring. (laughs) Um, Of course. We, we can identify what the lightning sand looks like because we've sunk into it once and it's fine. <laughs> um, and she says, but what about the RRUSs? And he says, rodents of unusual size? I don't think they exist. <laughs> and then is immediately attacked by a rodent of unusual size. It's, I'd love that they're called RRUSs like mm. in the film. It seems like a, a, like a liner note. <laughs> for <laughs> for like the the script or something that's like how they would abbreviate it but no it's just yeah. part of the story <laughs> that they're called RUSs um but yeah giant rats um these guys are like looking like big puppets they're actually um uh, little people in rat suits um uh doing this like f- battle here um yeah yeah they, they, they're fairly convincing. It's a fairly scary fight, um, like quite serious where like Wesley is crying out in pain as this rat is biting him. It's quite scary. <laughs> um, yeah. He um de- uh. he defeats the rat by rolling it into the path of the popping of a flame jet, basically, and scorching him. Um, mm. So this guy got this uh, extra got set on fire <laughs> in a rat suit. Um, he would have wanted a holocaust cloak, that's for sure. Um, yeah, it's so funny. So the extra who plays the main uh, rodent of unusual size, yeah, um, got done for drink driving the night before. Whoa! And what? He was like, "Please don't take me to jail." A drunk rat. Tomorrow morning, I have to dress as a big rat and fight <laughs> Wesley. And the <laughs> cop was like, "This is the worst lie I've ever heard. You're clearly drunk <laughs> and took him to jail." So there's a couple Wait, scenes. Wait, was he drunk? Where- Ah, he must have been, like, over the limit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, he- So, like, there's a few scenes where you can see Wesley just wrestling an empty rat suit. Oh, really? Because the guy was just in prison. <laughs> yeah, because they couldn't get him out until, like, later on in the morning. <laughs> That's bizarre. Oh, my God. Mm. Man, imagine being late for your big rat day. 
That sucks. I know. <laughs> Man. Oh, You've been pressing my rat, big rat day. <laughs> yeah. The performance that he does give as a, as a giant rat is super impressive, honestly. It's very mm. convincing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Every time I watch this movie and he, like, wanders out while they're in the sand, I really want him to start singing. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's not going to happen, but a little part of me just wants, like, him to get out a little top hat and oh, um, cane. Just give me a little bit of Ratatouille. A little bit of yeah. Ratatouille 3. A bit of Tui Tui. Uh, I need it. Just give me a song. Ratatouille's of unusual size. <laughs> Everyone has hats, but they're just very bulging because there's enormous <laughs> rats in there. Oh, uh, um, Alfredo's like under the huge weight of his huge hat, just like, nah, I'm the one cooking. No one's helping me. <laughs> Everyone knows. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, yes. So um, they managed to escape the fire swamp. Um, they make it mm. out. Wesley is looking pretty worse for wear after his battle against the ROUS and- uh, yeah, they immediately uh, caught up to by Prince Humperdinck, um, who I don't think I've mentioned actually so far, but he's played by um, Chris Sarandon, um, the mm. uh, husband to Susan Sarandon and um, a great actor in his own right. I think he's the voice of um, oh, Jack Skellington um, from The Nightmare Before he Christmas. Is. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. Great. Not the singing voice. But no, no, no. Else. The speaking voice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, singing voice is Danny Elfman. Yeah. Um, and yes, and so Prince Humperdinck is here and his entourage, um, including Count Rugen, um, Count Tyrone Rugen, if you if mm. you know, if you're his friend, um, is played by uh, Christopher Guest, um, who also does a great job um, being oh, this amazing. Like, very, very scary, um, <laughs> very eloquent, quietly speaking man like yeah. this. Um, yeah, he's great. Um, and yeah, they, uh, take, uh, Buttercup away, uh, with the promise that no harm will come to Wesley. She like, she like demands that, um, they don't harm him and send him back to his pirate ship. Um, and if, if that's the case, then she'll come along and come with, uh, Prince Humperdinck and go back. So it was all for nothing. So sad. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah. Prince Humperdinck agrees and then like, as an aside to <laughs> Count Rugen, he says, as soon as we're out of sight, throw him in the pit of despair, <laughs> <laughs> which, oh, oh my God, this movie's got a pit of despair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Um, yeah. So we get the crash sound and on the run as she's just like swept away, like picked up mm. off the ground. So, and taken away. Count Rugen says that will take him to take uh, Wesley to his ship. But of course, that's a lie. And uh, we see that uh, Count Rugen is Inigo's six-fingered man that he's looking for. Mm. It's a very creepy shot of like an animatronic <laughs> hand and a glove uh, with six <laughs> fingers all moving. It looks so wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you have six fingers, no judgment. Um, but man... <laughs> Mm. It looks wild in this film. I'm saying it, it probably wouldn't be as creepy as in, in in real life. I don't know, but man, surely not. Wild. Um, yeah. If you had six fingers and killed someone's father, though, no respect. No you. respect. But mainly, mainly for the murder. Yeah, <laughs> mostly really the murder. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, Count Rugen um, quickly knocks him out with uh, the butt of his sword. Um, this was done for real. This is another fun fact. Um, uh, 
Carrie Elwes said, uh, really go for it, um, Christopher Guest. Really, like, really uh, make the camera look like um, you're hitting me really hard and knocking me out cold. And so, Christopher Guest really did and, like, yeah. full-on knocked him out with the sword. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Elwes needed to get um, stitches in his head. Wow. Uh, like, took him out of the movie for, like, a couple weeks, I think. <laughs> Pretty nuts. Oh, man. Boys just going too far yeah. is what I'll call that. Oh, bloody ridiculous. Oh. I'm trying to make a New film. Boys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, we get the, the clocks and time kicking off now and we uh, go to the Pit of Despair, everyone's favorite place. Um, yeah. Some kind of underground facility. And um, we've got the, a character called the Albino, <laughs> who is played by uh, Mel Smith. Um, and he has one of my favorite jokes in the movie where, um, he appears to like give Wesley some information about where he is and what's going on, but starts off by having a like creepy strained voice, but that is revealed to just be like a frog in his throat. And he just (laughs) starts talking with like a fairly normal Cockney accent afterwards. (laughs) So good. <laughs> He's like, don't even try to escape. It's all good. He gives me big, like, Bill Bailey energy, <laughs> this guy. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's really, really funny. <laughs> like in um, in Hot Fuzz specifically. <laughs> hmm. Um, but, yeah. Uh, so, we go back to the castle and we see um, uh, Buttercup, like, running, walking around very sad um, about the situation and Humperdinck blames it on his dad being unwell, <laughs> the king. Um, and uh, even Count Rugen's like, yeah, yeah, it's that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then um, it's revealed that the king died in the night and um, Buttercup uh, is married to Humperdinck shortly thereafter. And this is immediately interrupted by the grandson being like, whoa, 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 granddad, you're screwing the story up. What are you talking about? They, she doesn't end up with Humperdinck. That's not fair. And the granddad's like, well, where does it say that? Life isn't fair. It's like sometimes that stuff, bad stuff happens. Like, what are you talking about? Mm. Um, and then, yeah, it convinces him to continue the story. Um, and he's getting worked up, this little kid. <laughs> He's sick, remember? Uh, uh, I don't think he's actually sick. He definitely is faking it. Because <laughs> he's just at home playing video games. Yeah, sure. He's very active about this point. Yeah. Maybe he's feeling that better now. That could be now. the power of stories. Yeah. Oh, true. He's revived him. Yeah. I think yeah. I can see that. I, for some reason, waved my hand in the air as I said the power of stories. Wow. Just emphatic. Adding, adding to point, you know. Mm. Or rating for the podcast. I like it. Um, yeah. Uh, so she's presented to the, to the people this time as their queen, queen buttercup. And she is told off by who only I can describe as a crone (laughs) in the crowd. Um, and a lovely old lady who, um, just throws insults her way, um, saying that she tossed aside true love and <laughs> her lines are so funny. This delivery is yeah. great. Bow to her. Bow to the queen of slime. The queen of <laughs> filth. The queen of putrescence. <laughs> so good. 
yeah, she was my star of the watch. And then I found out she's in Pink Floyd's movie, The Wall. Whoa. As, like, a teacher. Oh, yeah. Probably, like, so. citing this, right? Like, or maybe vice versa. Yeah. Like, this is very similar energy to a Pink Floyd teacher. <laughs> Just <laughs> screaming about slime. Yeah. Um, So this scene is revealed to, in fact, be a nightmare of Buttercup. Mm. Um, The king is still alive. She's still not married. The marriage is in 10 days. And the grandson's like, yeah, I told you so. And the the granddad's (laughs) like, yeah, shut up. (laughs) This is a book. There's narrative tension. (laughs) Um, Yeah. yeah, so um, she goes to the prince and after this dream and says that if uh, the marriage goes ahead in 10 days, she'll kill herself <laughs> before the before the end of um, the morning, but like before the following morning. Um, pretty intense. Uh, mm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we are having um, Time's vocal coming back in. Uh, after the mad guitar solo, that lady's screaming about slime over the time <laughs> solo was so good. Um, yeah, they need to edit that into the actual album from now it on. It would work as an as one of the ad libs, I think. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, Humperdinck is like, all right, consider the wedding off, I guess. And he comes up with a, a plan to send his four fastest ships into the four cardinal directions and find the dread pirate roberts's ship and tell him to come and collect buttercup um and he says but you're the one who did the leaving in the fire swamp girl Mm. (laughs) he might not want you anymore and if that's the case please consider me as an alternative to suicide (laughs) which is just the wildest tinder bio anyway (laughs) Uh, so we go to the, um, secret entrance to the pit of despair. We see it's in the, in the forest and Rugen has like, hits like a secret knot on the side of a tree and reveals a doorway. Um, and they have a chat, uh, him and Humperdinck talking about their dastardly schemes. Humperdinck Mm. is revealed as the person that hired Vizzini to do the capturing of the princess because he's the one that wants to start the war. What? Twist. Um, And yeah, he's um, now planning to have uh, the princess murdered on their wedding night and blame it on an assassin from Gilda to again start the war. Oh, drama. Um, Mm. Added layers. Um, Yeah. So we get uh, green, uh, gr- green. What we get? Great gig rolling in as um, uh, we have Rugen, uh, Count Rugen, starting Wesley on the machine, quote unquote, um, which is a torture device in this kids' movie, um, <laughs> yeah. involving a water wheel and like pumps and stuff. Um, uh, yeah, he explained. He turns it on. Um, and uh, Wesley screams out in pain, and then he explains what it does. Effectively, this is a suction cup that instead of sucking water, uh, which is a weird way of phrasing it, um, sucks (laughs) life. Um, He saps life by the year away from you um, Mm. through a suction cup. Um, It's horrifying as a concept. The idea of taking away someone's like literal life so that they can't live it is truly, truly scary. Um, yeah. Like murder in a sense, right? Like 
He's mm. removing their life before it's over. Um, so, yeah, it's just like a, a weird circular murder. <laughs> um, yeah, an IOU murder. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we have um, the in Great Gig, we have the, like, frightened of dying um, ad-libs playing over this mm. at the start. Um, and that works over this description of a horrific, <laughs> like, torture. <laughs> um, yeah, like shouldn't be frightened of dying that kind of thing um because yeah rugen is being very like clinical he's like trying to have like exceptional bedside manner even though he's literally a torturer um yeah and yeah it's like he's doing a scientific study uh like he he uncomfortably reminded me of myself on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah just describing horrific events that happen to these people but just being like yeah and can they describe how much it's synced with pink floyd (laughs) right yeah it's Mm. how i feel every time we do a horror movie um (laughs) yeah yeah so (laughs) it's fine humperdinck uh uh then uh goes to raise suspicions about this um pending assassination attempt that he's planning um to Yellen, his ad- advisor, I guess. I don't really know. He's this guy yeah. who looks like our friend Tom quite a lot um, <gasps> with a, like a big bushy moustache and long hair. Mm. Um, and yeah. He- uh, your listeners probably don't know our friend Tom. So just picture your friend Tom. Yeah, picture your friend Tom. And I hope he's a big, a big uh, friendly furry man. Um, all right. <laughs> Because that's who we have here. And yeah, yeah, basically he asks for the thieves forest um, to be emptied before the wedding night so that this assassination assassination attempt cannot happen. Mm. Um, uh, hilariously, Yellen says that some of the thieves will resist, <laughs> <laughs> which is great that he's just aware that the thieves forest is full of thieves. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, yeah. and that it's just like that's where the thieves be you know <laughs> um it's, it's very good um also removing everyone from the thieves forest will mean that no one can break into the pit of despair and potentially mm. rescue wesley um so he demands that um yellen form a brute squad to deal with them um i have seen in the wild in new zealand gareth a badge on somebody that said Humperdinck's Ooh. Brute Squad and just had a and just had a picture of Fezzik on it, <laughs> which is pretty great. Um, that is a good badge. Yeah. <laughs> um, the beautiful thing is, like, our friendship deepened over a Princess Bride. Like, you sort of just <laughs> leaning in and being like, "I like the Princess Bride." Mm-hmm. Like, imagine the life we could be living. Imagine the third co-host we could have had if you had then collected that person. Exactly right, man. We could have had our um, own brute squad. That would have been great. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Sink Floyd. We're the brute squad. We're the brute- Let's get going. Oh, man. The Sink Floyd brute squad. <laughs> but it's just, we can't do it with only the the two of us is the sad story. Nah. We, we can't call nah. ourselves a brute squad unless we have three hosts. That's, that's mm. a rule. <laughs> It can't be a squad of two. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, uh, we'd have our own supplement sponsorship if we had a, if we were the brute squad. Oh, I hope so. Gosh. Yeah. Um, anyway, we cut to the wedding day and the forest is being emptied of thieves <laughs> um, <laughs> by the brute squad here. Um, we hear that there's a Spaniard giving the brute squad, brute squad um, trouble and we see him 
and it's Inigo, of course. He's returned to the beginning at the demand of Vecini at after his defeat on the on the on the cliffs of insanity. And he uh, has returned to where his story started, um, where Vecini found him, which was drunk off his ass on brandy <laughs> in, in the Thieves Forest, um, which, you know, is, is a good vibe. Um, and yeah, he isn't moving because he's super drunk and is just stabbing at anyone that comes close <laughs> to him. Um, so, yeah, we get the cha-ching of money coming in and uh, Fezzik, the Brute Squad, arrives. He is now a member of the Brute Squad and, yeah, is reunited with an ego. Immediately abandons being part of the Brute Squad <laughs> because he's found his old friend, which is very yeah. nice. And, yeah, um, the the granddad does a bit of narration about, <laughs> like, comedy narration where he says that Physic took great care reviving his inebriated friend in Eco, and we just see him like dunking his head into barrels <laughs> of water. So funny. Um, mm. And yeah, uh, he learns of that the that uh, Rugen is the six fingered man that he's looking for, and Inigo's like fired up to get his revenge and go and kill him. Uh, but they need a strategist because the the castle gate during the wedding is guarded by 30 men um and yellen has the only key to the gate and yeah so they need a strategist to work out how to get through them um they talk briefly about how many people they think they could handle which they say about 10 each which is quite Mm. funny um and uh yeah they decide they need the man in black and go out to search for him um uh buttercup then um, finds out that obviously Humperdinck didn't send his four fastest ships <laughs> to find Wesley. Um, he never did that. Obviously, it was it was clear from the start. But she, yeah. <laughs> but she um, doesn't. She says it doesn't matter because she's confident that Wesley will come for her in spite of that. Um, the power of true love will prevail, and um, the bad guys lose, good guys win, etc. Um, mm. And this infuriates Humperdinck. Um, she calls him a coward as well. And um, he like locks her into her room and we like runs very quickly to the pit of despair. I think he like walks out of shot in the castle and then appears in the pit of despair in the <laughs> yeah. world's fastest cut. Um, and yeah, it's just furious that um, Wesley has got the love that he wants and um sentences him to suffer more than any man ever has and then sets this machine that sucks life away to 50 years in one go um Mm. rugen briefly said um that he um the machine he usually sets it to one year at a time to remove people's life because he likes torturing people obviously and he said that one day he might go as high as five years at once but he didn't know what that would do (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Um, And now uh, Humperdinck has set it to 50, its maximum setting. Um, And yeah, this makes Wesley let out this horrifying scream um, described in the film as a scream of ultimate suffering. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, which like echoes loudly across the whole kingdom. Everybody hears it. um, And this draws Inigo and Fezzik to find the right spot. They're like, ah, yes, that's the sound of ultimate suffering. That's the sound that my heart made when my father died. (laughs) It's like, damn, 
Got him. <laughs> um, yeah, bloody dark. Just mm. <laughs> like, like, oh man, just uh, the, a man gets tortured so badly in this movie. Poor Wesley. <laughs> yeah. Um, the things you do for true love, like, eh? Um, Carrie sells it as well. Like, oh it is- yeah. A devastating scream. He is full on screaming. He's like, mm. this is what landed him um, his role in Saw, probably. <laughs> so is. Right? This one scream. <laughs> They're like- Ah, you can be tortured. Yeah, you know ultimate suffering. Let me- You know about torture. <laughs> Let me put you in my weird torture game movie. <laughs> oh, man. Wild. Um, yeah. So, uh, Anigo and Fezzik rock up to the- they trace it, the sound to the, the thieves' forest and um, they come across the albino out here who's just carrying a little cart towards the pit of despair to do something um, and, like, is caught in the act of, like, going towards the secret tree. Um, and uh, But before they can get in- Fezzik, like, tries to, like, threaten him and jog his memory, quote-unquote, to uh, remind him, get him to tell him where the man in black is. And Mm. he does a little bit too good of a job and knocks out the albino with one swift hit to the (laughs) head. Um, uh, Yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, But now they have no leads. So, Inigo asks his father from beyond the grave to guide his sword to the correct spot. And um, follows his, follows the path um, to the tree, uh, and as, like it, assuming it doesn't work, like it just hits into the tree, and he's like, "Oh no!" and leans up against it, hitting the secret knot and opening the little door to, into the pit of despair, which is just mm-hmm. like a great little like set moment. Oh, it's it's so so fun, you know. Just secret doors, man. I'm all about that shit. Yeah. Oh. Need them all in every house. Yeah. Oh, I haven't found any in my new house. Uh, I'm, I'm still looking. Keep Maybe trying. I'll make some. <laughs> you can do it. You own the house. Right? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> oh, I tried so hard to get my parents to get a secret um, library door, like a book that moves mm. um, and opens the door in their house. And they compromised by getting some very trippy book uh, bookshelf wallpaper. Yeah. That, um, like, you look at it and it looks like the room keeps going. And it's in their bathroom. And I think it's, like, the, one of the weirdest and coolest things in their house. That's rad. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can tell they listened to Pink Floyd back in the day. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Your parents have strong Pink Floyd energy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, so, they, they go into the pit of despair they find Wesley, but he's mm. dead. He's dead, Gareth. And the this is interrupted by, again, the grandson who cannot believe it. He's like, what? Yeah. Wesley's dead. You've gotten the story wrong. This is this is impossible. Like, this is inconceivable. Mm. <laughs> Granddad. Um, he's like, what the hell? Who kills Humperdinck? If, if Wesley's dead, who gets him? Who gets the baddie in the end? And um, the granddad's like, all right, that Humperdinck lives. And he's like, what? This, this story sucks. <laughs> um, and he's like, well, yeah, like, some, like he, nobody gets him. He, he survives at the end of the story, which is true. It's great that he tells mm. him. Um, but, yeah, uh, he's clearly very worked up. And uh, the granddad's like, oh, I think I'm going to stop for the day. You're, I've clearly, like, upset you. 
with this story. I'm sorry. And he gets up to leave and the kid's like, no, please, please finish the story. <laughs> I love the story. Please. Let me mm-hmm. find out what happens. Uh, it's good. Um, yes. Um, Anigo refused to give, refuses to give up. Um, even though the man in black is dead and he says, um, he asks Fezzik how much money he has, um, and hopes that it's enough to buy a miracle because we're going to miracle max, um, heretofore un- unmentioned character, um, <laughs> yeah. a, uh, he's the ex court wizard question mark and healer yeah. of, of the crystal of the crystal of the palace. Jesus, the, the crystal. He's mm-hmm. Billy Crystal is why I said crystal. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, yeah. Played by Billy Crystal. Um, just I cannot. I, every time I see or hear Billy Crystal in anything, even though he's like a man who has multiple roles, I just picture Mike Wazowski every time, <laughs> which makes no sense. <laughs> you know, he's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah. But I don't know. Mike Wazowski affected me, I guess. Um, yeah. Gosh. I suppose the hipster version is to hear Calcifer from the English dub of um, Hell's Moving Castle. That's pretty good too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a guy. What a guy, right? Like, iconic roles. Obviously, Harry Met Sally as well. Mm-hmm. Like, same director. No, um, nice. Yeah. Shout out to Rob Reiner, by the way. Great director. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um, like, yeah, iconic role. And also, like, mostly just enjoys hosting the oscars yeah man oh he'll do it it's fun you can have fun his last name's crystal that's so cool yeah man oh great last name i wish my last name was crystal james crystal god i mean baron's pretty cool three hosts you know that is true actually yeah yeah what if your name was crystal baron Mm. Uh, I don't know. Baron Crystal? Maybe my firstborn will be Crystal Baron. Uh, Baron Crystal Baron and Stanley, which is a callback to episode two of this podcast. Oh, wow. Okay. Stanley is my firstborn. Well, good to know I named that so early (laughs) in the show's history. Um, Anyway. Uh, Billy Crystal playing Miracle Max. He has mm. he has a lot of banger lines. Obviously, Billy Crystal absolutely bringing it in this movie. Um, he says, uh, "I might kill whoever you wanted me to miracle because he's retired," um, which is very funny. Um, he talks about uh, his other his other favorite line of mine uh, is um, "have have fun storming the castle," which is something yeah. I say a lot to people when they leave. <laughs> <laughs> like someone leaves my work I say have fun storming the castle <laughs> good times um yeah uh so it's revealed that Wesley is only mostly dead Gareth mm. he's clearly hanging on to life for some reason and uh so that's helpful um Miracle Max is going to find out the reason that he's still sticking around and like pumps his ear full of lungs, breathe, breathe in the air, unfortunately not playing currently. Mm. Um, and yeah, fills up his lungs to find out the reason that he's staying alive. And Wesley says, true love. Um, and yeah, it's pretty obvious that that's the reason he's like, ah, oh, yes, true love is the best thing in the world, but it's not what he said. He clearly said to blave. <laughs> <laughs> which we all know means to bluff <laughs> which <laughs> to blame <laughs> to blame um yeah you know everybody knows that um 
Yeah, assuming that uh, Inigo, uh, he owes Inigo money and is therefore hanging on to life. Um, it's then that uh, Max's wife comes out to like yell at mm. him and tell him to take the job uh, with the great line. He's like, get away from me, witch. And she's like, I'm not a witch. I'm your wife. <laughs> Ruthless. Ruthless. So good. Um, Carol Kane yeah. as Valerie, his witch wife. <laughs> so funny. They both got like big, like, Radagast the Brown living in the woods <laughs> energy. Mm. <laughs> They're very, very funny. Um, oh. But yes, they managed. They apparently just like, because they weren't in it a lot. Mm. So before they flew out for the role, they would like meet up and just like improvise as these characters just for kicks That's so they great. really like had these deep comedic wells to draw from yeah they feel very lived yeah. in these roles they, mm. they're they just vibing the whole time and having a great great time with it and yeah, yeah. They're, they're great on screen together um just yelling over each other yeah um yeah i would watch a play of these two like oh yeah like a weird two-person even if it's a two-person show it does feel a bit of a play in it yeah it does feel like a play almost because they're just like talking over each other and have like very very comedic like quick lines with each other as well Mm. yeah same kind of feeling nice um yes so we managed to convince max here to perform the miracle um, because Humperdinck will suffer greatly <laughs> if Wesley comes back alive because he wants to interrupt Humperdinck's wedding. And so this revenge is the noble cause that Max was looking for <laughs> and, uh, yeah, um, gets to work. They make a, a pill, which is coated in chocolate, uh, to revive him and yeah, set them off, have fun storming the castle. Um, it's mm. a hilariously large pill, uh, like like walnut sized, <laughs> I would say. Um, looks like very unappetizing despite the chocolate coating. Um, but anyway, yeah. um, that's what you get with Woodsman Miracle Pills, I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah, so they give Wesley the pill up on the up on the wall rampart, looking down at the castle gate. And he comes back alive basically immediately, um, but is unable to move his arms and legs um, due to the torture, like sapping all of his strength and also being dead for a good part of the day. Um, That'll do that. Um, That's enough to tire anybody out. Mm. Um, So he gets an ego to list their assets and liabilities, which is talking my language, baby, um, for uh, the plan. Uh, of how they're going to break in and save Buttercup, etc. Inigo does so, but it's not looking good. They don't have very much um, to do. And there are 60 men guarding the castle gates rather than 30. He's pretty sure it's impossible. Uh, states, if only we had a wheelbarrow <laughs> or something. And uh, and he goes like, wait, didn't the, the albino guy have, an, have a wheelbarrow? <laughs> Where did we put that? And he's like, well, why didn't you mention that among mm-hmm. our assets in the first place, Nico. <laughs> so good. This is also where we get the the Holocaust cloak, which is just a cloak that um, uh, Vizek has taken from Miracle Max's, this huge coat for him. Um, Holocaust cloak in this instance, meaning a cloak that cannot catch on fire. Um, a uh, Like it's a fireproof coat, that won't uh but like if you fuzz it up 
like with like scratching it or whatever there'll be a thin lining that can catch on fire on the outside but you will be unharmed on the inside whether or not this is a real thing uh is unknown to me yeah we um um, off mic both googled it at the same time and we couldn't find that out limited results um basically just talking about this movie and it's like hey is this real and everyone's like "Mm, i don't know (laughs) but anyway uh, if you've set yourself on fire, please do ride into the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's a stunt that even the Guinness World Records don't want anyone to do anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's pr- pretty dangerous, you know. Yeah. The fact that they do it in this movie is pretty wild. Hmm. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, we go into the middle of the night now and it's time to put this plan into action. Uh, while the ceremony is underway inside, we have Peter Cook. Um, as the character name is the impressive clergyman, <laughs> which I didn't know until researching it for this movie, for this watch. Um, hilarious. But I've just called him like the celebrant guy. Um, yeah. And he is just like here for like the dumbest joke possible, was, which is that mm-hmm. he's performing the ceremony with just the most ridiculous speech impediment possible. He's like saying mowage and wav, true wav. <laughs> Like, for the whole thing. Very, very silly bit. Um, so silly. And he's, like, shot so beautifully. Like, he's oh, um, yeah. made of Vatican's. Like, he's going to be that impressive. Exactly. Then, yeah, just for mallage. Just completely undercut immediately. It's great. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, the plan, meanwhile, is underway. Physic is being uh, wheeled out on a cart um, by uh, an ego with... <laughs> uh with oh god uh what's his name jesus it's gone from my mind the main character of the movie um <laughs> oh gosh what is it wesley wesley yeah thank you uh, is like <laughs> just on his back uh like because he's still unable to move properly he's able to mm. like move his legs now at the very least but can't walk um they're wheeling him out and waiting for the right time to light him on fire to inspire fear um Fezzik is claiming that he's the Dread Pirate Roberts here to claim the souls of mortal men. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Hilarious. Uh, Very scary. Andre the Giant in a giant coat on fire. Pretty pretty terrifying. Mm. I feel like I'd run away from that as well. (laughs) Um, We're in brain damage for this. And Pink Floyd's seeing the lunatic is on the grass. And fair play. It's probably Fezzik here um, set on fire. So I'll count that. Uh, Yeah. Um, apparently this has gotten into a bit more in the book as well. Like how this whole plan happened. It's actually like really well thought out. Um, but anyway. Yeah. It wasn't in my abridged, abridged, double abridged abridged CD version. Okay. (laughs) Well, we're going to move on then. That's all good. Mm. Um, yeah. Humperdinck like rushes through the ceremony, like skipping major parts and rushes to the end, getting the clergyman to say man and wife, just that on its own. (laughs) Mm. And assumes that that is good enough for the wedding and that they're now married. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, rushes off to deal with this problem because he hears the commotion outside. And, um, yeah, the uh, buttercup is taken away to the honeymoon suite by the king. Uh, It's hilarious because she's like, oh, yeah. Uh, she gives him a kiss and says, I probably won't see you again because I'll be killing myself in the honeymoon suite. And he said, isn't that nice? Mm. <laughs> it's just like an old man completely out of it. Uh, hilarious. Um, 
Yes. Uh, inside the castle now, we've breached the walls and um, Inigo runs into Rugen, um, surrounded by his guards. And uh, he kills them all, very all the guards, very swiftly with his sword play and then delivers his line, his, uh, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya, you killed my father, prepare to die. Um, and yeah, uh, Rugen looks like he's going to stand and fight and then immediately runs away. <laughs> <laughs> not allowing Anigo to get his revenge like he wanted. So Anigo gives chase, trying to catch him, but gets shut behind a locked door. Um, Fezzik runs over and like punches it down <laughs> with a single punch. This locked door, very cool as a stunt. Yeah. Like obviously fake, but looks really good. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, he like punches it and then he's like, there you go, sir. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, he in the in this process, physics had to like stand Wesley up with his arms into like interlocked with the arms of a suit of armor in the hallway. But when he returns, Wesley is gone. He's not there, and he's like, "Oh shit!" Usually, we just see him doing the like um, Pulp Fiction meme with him just like standing around looking for something <laughs> that's not there. Um, good stuff. Uh, mm. <laughs> Yeah, we go into Eclipse now for this chase um, at the end of playthrough two with Rugen um, running into the dining hall and he throws a dagger at, at Inigo, taking him down. Um, he like slumps down and like taunts him right at the end of playthrough two here. Bit of drama um, mm. at the end of this play. Very big dick move, honestly, throwing a dagger and then <laughs> taunting your opponent. Lame. Mm. Um, yeah. Everyone else has had the decency in this film to chat first, then get the blades out. Exactly. This, yeah, that's not rules. how Rogan do. He either tortures mm. you or throws a dagger at you and he, he gets what he deserves. Mm. <laughs> um, in the honeymoon suite, Buttercup goes to kill herself as uh, by plunging a knife into her chest Um as we get the heartbeats between the plays, which is like yeah. really great as a sync. It really like layers the tension of that. Um, yeah. But it like is uh, interrupted just in time by Wesley revealing himself to just be on her bed in, in the honeymoon <laughs> suite. Uh, yeah. Uh, and she's like, oh my God, you're alive. Amazing. You did come for me. And uh, Wesley, of course, is unable to move. <laughs> in the bed <laughs> and just sort of has to like endure her kisses <laughs> on top of it. Yeah. Um, we go into playthrough three and uh, throughout the heartbeats, Inigo has been out of it, just lying on the ground. And then he comes back at the start of playthrough three. Speak to me. He start. he gets a second wind and rises. Yes. Uh, uh, by, possessed by the spirit of revenge. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, and Pink Floyd. And Pink Floyd, yeah, coming back for a third play. He lost all power because Pink Floyd stopped playing. And as soon right? as they started again, he's back, baby. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, he gets, like, stabbed in um, his uh, either arm as he's rising up by, like, half deflecting Rugen's blade. Um, and then gains strength over the course of the album game, gaining strength here as we yes. go into Breathe. And, um, yeah battles against Rugen, giving him a mirror of the same wounds that he just received, which I think is so good. Like just as this fight is so cleverly done as well. And yeah. that like 
he like stabs Rugen in the same spots that he gets stabbed. Um, eventually disarms him and then uh, like torments Rugen in his last moments, gives him the same cheek scars that Rugen gave him when he was 11. Um, like saying like, give me everything that I desire. Give me money, give me fame, etc." And Rugen's like, yes, you'll have everything that you want. And we get our one PG swear in this film here, uh, mm. which is used to the greatest effect in any film because uh, Inigo stabs Rugen in the in the abdomen just where he got stabbed um, with the dagger that should have killed him. And he says, I want my father back, you son of a bitch. Hell yeah. It's like incredibly yeah. cathartic as a as a revenge story. You're like, yes, mm. yes, he did it. Like, it's amazing. It's very, very mm. satisfying. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it's hard to make someone like the audience invest in a revenge story, but yeah, especially when you don't see the inciting incident. But man, when you've got the Patinkin, yeah, man, yeah, ah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Man, in five minutes, I've got a great joke. Pistinkin <laughs> with revenge. No, that's not it. Um, no, oh, it's going to be good. I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be a good scene. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, it's not good. Just you oh, wait. I don't have physics gift for wordplay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's all I need. Um, Wesley uh, says... Uh, comforts um, Buttercup that the the wedding didn't happen because they skipped over the I do's. She never actually agreed to get married, so therefore it doesn't count. Um, mm. And Humperdinck is in the room and says, like, I'll soon fix that after I fix you, effectively, and um, yeah. prepares to fight Wesley to the death um, for Buttercup. And uh, Wesley, like, distracts him by instead challenging him to a fight to the pain, um, which requires some explanation. Uh, <laughs> it's you pretty much almost have to do the whole speech. Yeah, it's an extensive length of disfigurements, which I'm not going <laughs> to cover here. Yeah. It's pretty gross, pretty dark stuff to be suggesting to do, but it's mostly just Wesley buying himself time. Um, mm. And it's, it's definitely dramatic. And Humperdinck's like, yes, let's get on with it. Let's fight. And then he, he thinks that Wesley's bluffing um, and Wesley's like, yeah, maybe I am bluffing. Maybe, maybe I don't have the strength to stand. And we're in um, Breathe going into On the Run here and Pink Floyd saying race towards an early grave. And as they sing that, he says, but maybe I have the strength after all. And he mm. stands up as we're going into On the Run very slowly and very dramatically <laughs> And just stands there raising his sword, pointing at Humperdinck. It's like the miracle happening him standing up and ready to fight, you know, and demands yeah. that Humperdinck drop his sword. And you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> Over on the run, it's so dramatic. Yeah. Just that transition. I was like, man, that's cool. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. It's beautiful that it's like the final scene and it doesn't, well, the final confrontation and it doesn't need to be another action scene because they've kind of given us- They've already done it. Good enough sword fights. Yeah. Yeah. So, why not just let Carrie act as 
little secret ponytail off yeah. and yeah the fight's already minds. won is the thing right like him mm. him standing up him having the ability to stand and raise his sword is enough like that's that yeah. is winning the fight really because he's overcoming like everything that he's been through in this one moment like and it's fantastic it's it's really good yeah. and it's enough to terrify um humperdinck who is a full coward and immediately allows himself <laughs> to be captured and tied up. He's like, shit, okay, I guess you weren't bluffing and there's no yeah. way I can win. Um, just sits down with lovely, perfect posture. Yeah, and just allows himself to be tied to a chair. Um, yeah. Yeah, we find out that Wesley was bluffing as um, good old uh, Inigo comes into the room um, trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and uh, Wesley, like, slumps down uh, after he was leaning on his sword to stand um, mm. to blave Gareth. He was blaving. Ah, <laughs> oh, blaving all along. Oh, mate. Blaving. Oh. Blave with my heart. In this podcast, we like films with glaives and blaves. That's damn true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. From glaive to blave. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Blave to the glaive to the grey. <laughs> So good. Um, yeah. So they do. That's leave- going to be the name of the oral history of this podcast in 25 years. Oh, when it's yes. The most influential show. <laughs> from from Blave to Glaive. Yeah. That's, that's perfect. Yeah. To Grave. <laughs> to Grave. Okay. <laughs> the dark <laughs> history of the most influential podcast ever made. Wow. That's, yeah. It's a long title, but it checks out. It's the same as the yeah. Princess Bride's full title. <laughs> Mm. So they do leave Humperdinck alive, as they said, and unarmed mm. to live with his cowardice, quote unquote, as his punishment, which is good. It's not like overly dark. Like the real villain has yeah. already been killed and that um, uh, Rugen gets gets his just desserts for being a dirty murderer. Um, <laughs> and yeah, um, they make their escape on um, four white horses that Fezzik finds in the stables <laughs> poetically. And he's like, oh. I found these horses and I thought, hey, there are four of us if we find the lady. Hi, lady. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, and mm. yeah, they um, get away. Wesley um, comments uh, with Inigo's revenge plot now tied up. He's like, well, you'd make a great uh, Dread Pirate Roberts. <laughs> and Inigo's like, yeah, maybe. And then they jump out the window uh, onto these horses. Sailing away into the sunrise um, of the following morning. Um, and Grandad doesn't read the last line of the book. He's like, ah, it's more it's more kissing stuff. You don't want to hear that. But the grandson over the course of the story has matured to the point mm-hmm. where he no longer wishes to interrupt and is happy to hear the end of the story. And yeah, it's, it's that um, five kisses in the history of the world thing that I said at the start, <laughs> but this time about kissing and not about podcasts. Um, yeah. And he says the end of the book, right on the crash sound of on the run on the yes. third playthrough. So, whoa, the, the crash of the book closing crash of on the run. <laughs> Wild. Um, yeah. It's time for bed and it's time for time to start playing <laughs> for the end of the end of the movie. Um, Granddad says, uh, he, the little grandson asks if he can come around and read the story again um, the following day. And the grandpa replies, as you wish. And that's the closing line of the movie as he puts out the light on the film. And we get the credits. 
Um, yeah, and it's so wholesome and relaxing. And then all of the clocks in Dark Side of the Moon go off. Yeah, in time. <laughs> so scary. Us. And it's like, yeah. oh, right on the credits, <laughs> just beating you up. And you're like, whoa, ow. Okay. Yeah. Um, Life is pain, princess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is another good quote that I missed. That's one quote mm. that I missed. Life is pain. Anyone who says different is selling something. Man. Uh, what did you think? How did it sink? That's my quote. Oh, well, James, when you've got the Patinkin, you're in for a sinking. Oh, there he is. Yeah, see, I taste it. Oh, it was like I my revenge plot against myself. It. Oh, I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm full oh. of holes. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I mean, yeah, it was good stuff. Good, good timely sink. Some nice thematic sinks. Yeah, man. I'm feeling like a, personally, I'm feeling a six or a seven. Yeah. If you are. I like that. I'm pretty happy with that. I was yeah. hoping for higher for the movie. And as you say, there were there were a lot of sinks. But, like, I'm, I'm happy with seven. I'm, I reckon mm. that's probably right, if I'm being honest with yeah. myself. Um, yeah. And that's the true lesson of the show, is be honest with yourself. <laughs> as always, we found mm. the moral. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, wow. Next week. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna keep on going. We're gonna sink another film with Dark Side of the Moon. What? That's what we're gonna do. Okay. Yeah. And okay. As we that's like the genesis of really this episode mm-hmm. was an online interaction. We've got to go back to another one where Ooh. just after we announced this podcast, a friend messaged us and they suggested we do a film. <laughs> they asked if we were okay. Yeah, pretty much. And that film was Pokemon, the first movie. Oh, yeah. Which we did. And Great hit. there was a second suggestion Ooh. of a different film. And that film has haunted this show. That film oh, is knocking on our door once a week asking, are you going to sink me yet? Are you going to sink me yet? Because this film is essentially Sink Floyd, the movie. Whoa. It's about a good looking slacker. Who becomes obsessed with hidden messages in pop culture. Ooh. Um, it's a very naughty film. It's not a perfect film, but it's fascinating. And it's a little film from 2019 oh. called Under the Silver Lake. Ooh. Okay. Yes. I know nothing about this. I'm excited. That's That sounds oh, fun. Oh, go in cold. I am. I will, Trust I will, me. I- go in. Yeah. I will not You're gonna look anything up. You're going to scale some cliffs of insanity. I'll find a DVD. And I'll watch this. Well, actually, um, weird plug, but there's a service in New Zealand called Beamer Film. Where if you have a library card, you can stream, um, like, some movies for free. And that's one of the movies on Beamer Film. All right. (laughs) I'm going to get on Beamer Film. Yeah. It's also on Netflix, I think. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) amazing okay great yeah. i look forward to beaming my way into that film and yeah and uh yeah learning about the silver lake great mm. and if you listener are scheming for a beaming as well <laughs> you can follow sync floyd podcast at sync floyd pod on twitter.com on facebook on letterboxd you can email syncfloydpod at gmail.com mm. um, send us the subject line i'm scheming for a beaming and we'll send you back a screenshot of the Princess Bride. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. And that's a service we promise at any time. That's true. It might just take us a few days to reply. <laughs> or remember. It'll be all right. Yeah. 
And yeah, oh my goodness. Until next week, I've been Gareth Blackclaw. I've been James Barron. And we'd have a third co-host and be a brute squad, but <laughs> none of us are called Crystal. Yeah. So until then, we'll see you on the dark side of the moon. On the dark side of the moon, baby, yeah, oh, yeah, oh. I went into, like, the American National Anthem for no reason. That was weird. <laughs> oh. Didn't like that. Never mind. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye.